so upset inside that you want to share that misery with someone else. That would be in a loud voice, demeaning words that you're sending out, physical violence or punishment in one way or another. It's not a good thing. I've noticed a pattern that happens when we feel under stress. Subconsciously, we want other people to relate to us, to empathize with us, and most importantly, understand us. So we create opportunities where they can. Most of us are craving to feel understood, to feel validated. So when we're in distress and our most intimate relationships, we create opportunities for our partners, our parents, our siblings to feel the same way that we feel. I don't think it's because we're evil. I don't think it's because we're vindictive. I believe it's because we want to feel understood. And of course, the law of the harvest. We reap what we sow. So if we sow with fear and security and ego, we will reap experiences that are seated with that. If fear and security and ego are at the heart of our programming, then at the core of our belief systems, we will have experiences that echo and reinforce that. If I believe I'm not good enough, loved, wanted, or valued, I'm going to create experiences that echo that and experiences that corroborate that belief system. Because we like to be right. I see this a lot in my practice with marriage coaching. Both partners feel misunderstood. Both partners feel taken for granted. Both partners feel unheard, whether they mean for this to happen or not. We see this with parents and children too. When young children feel distressed or angry and they don't have the skills or the tools to cope with that, they throw a tantrum. That's how they express themselves. That's how they express, I'm feeling out of control. I don't like that I can't control what my bedtime is. I don't like that I can't eat sugar and I can't have dessert before dinner. I don't like any of those things. So what happens? They throw a tantrum. Then what happens with the parents? They feel that distress, that embarrassment, that feeling of helplessness. This is out of my control. I don't like that this is out of my control. These powerful emotions that have us feeling helpless and in distress, when they're not fully processed in the four pillars, through the body temple pillar, the spiritual pillar, the mental pillar, and the energy pillar, they end up resurfacing and causing pain to someone else, usually the people closest to us. Absolutely. So we make these individual choices to send love out. It's like putting money in a piggy bank. We're sending it out without any regard of it ever coming back. But we trust in the law of the harvest that when we plant, the seed will grow and we'll have a harvest. We trust in the law of attraction that we always send out is, or what we think about is going to come right back to us. We trust in karma. All those are very, very similar. You know what I found, Alessandra, that fed my anger and I was raised in an angry childhood but what fed that anger was other people. Rarely did I ever get annoyed at myself, always at other people. <laughs> I'm always the good guy. There was one time, Alessandra, that I was so annoyed with myself that I didn't talk to myself for three days. <laughs> Just kidding. I would think that the feeding machine for anger would be stacking it and that was my problem. And I started stacking one annoyance on top of another, mm -hmm. on top of another until there was a flash. And then that flash was kind of like a, a release of that anger. Then you're back down here. And then you, somebody else does something to annoy you. Then you have that flash. And hopefully that flash doesn't get to the point of violence or worse yet, even killing or hurting someone in, in a horrible way. Hopefully it never gets to that point. But I would think that the thing that feeds it is ourselves and mm -hmm. choosing to be annoyed at someone else when it's really nothing we have control over. And it took me a long time to realize this is I have no control over the choices that another person makes. So why should I be annoyed? They're making that choice. I'm going to stay in my lane. 
I'm going to choose to send out love. And there's always something about focusing on what's right about that person rather than what's wrong about that person. And that was my paradigm shift for me. It's out of my box. It's out of my lane. It's out of my control. Things are out of your control. And I think that's when people, like you said about the parents, when they think it's out of their control, then it could be annoying. But step back a minute. If it's out of your control, why get annoyed? You don't have charge. You can't change it. You can have influence, make suggestions if they allow permission. Mm -hmm. can't tell them what to do because that breeds the resentment, but you can gently persuade them that maybe you'll try it this way or try it another way. When we're talking about children, I found that I got angry if children didn't do it right the first time because I was trying to do it right the first time. <laughs> I already had all that experience. Why didn't they get it? And I, <laughs> it just, and I realized what I was doing. And once I realized that, well, it's their first time. And once I realized that and just provide them that latitude and that understanding that, well, let's try it again. And let's just, you're going to get better. And everybody's going to make those mistakes right at the very beginning. So let's just try to get a little bit better and let them have that growing experience rather than try to just be demeaning from the gate. They're not going to ever want to do that again. You don't want that. I really like how you're describing things and it seems so logical. Of course, we need to allow people to self-correct because then they'll be able to do it better, figure out how to do it better in a way that works for them. We're accepting them for their humanity. Sometimes in the moment, especially in marriages, things get very heated. What are some tools to switch and transition from this? Oh, I'm feeling so angry right now. I don't feel like you're my partner. You're my teammate into love and peace to get to a point where you can calmly and rationally communicate with each other and problem solve as a team. One question that kind of helps diffuse it for me is that you're really doing that? Why are you asking me that question? I mean, we're in the middle of a fight. Why would you ask me that question? (laughs) It kind of stops the whole circumstance of going farther and it's honoring their choice. Okay, you're going to do that? Okay. That doesn't work for me. And I'm just still on my own path. But hopefully as a couple, you can set those goals to love every single day and love in a specific way. And that's kind of what what I've the whole idea of the book that I wrote and, and the journal and the and the cube that I've got. That's the whole idea of that is that it would focus a family on looking for those opportunities to love. What's right about that person? What can I love about that person? And never ever go to that critical path that judgment is really not ours anyway. Critical path that says, what's wrong with that person? And just make make judgments from a distance without any facts at all. It's really not a good idea. And how do you practice that with your spouse and your family? That looking at, hey, what's going right? I created a cube that has the love languages on it. That's the, how I do it. I roll the die. I, I just roll the cube every day. Whatever it comes up, that's the love language I practice that day. Five love languages, six sides on the die. Last one surprised me. Whatever you roll that day, that's kind of your mantra, kind of your purpose, what you're watching for opportunities to love in that way all day that day. I was single when I created this. I didn't have a significant other. So I said, what am I going to do? And the thought occurred to me, just do it to everybody. It improves your vision so you can see it when it comes your way. Most people can only respond to what they like, 
what their primary love language is or what their secondary love language might be. They might not see the other things as love. They'll say, that's nice, but it's just not quite what I like and not doesn't feed me. Well, this way, you've got the peripheral vision. Oh, they're loving on me. It's not my primary, but I can see they're sending it out. They're, mm-hmm. they're trying. They're loving on me. I can respond appropriately to that. Second thing that happens is you, you become what I like to call a love language linguist. I know you want that. You want to put it on your resume. <laughs> but when you go to that employer, Alessandra, that employer is going to say, what the heck is a love language linguist? You're going to say, well, I just love people. That employer wants the customers to be loved and they want a loving environment within the workplace. And your resume should rise to the top because of just that thing. People want people that love. It cuts down on non-productive time. Mm-hmm. If people are working together within an environment, whether it's home, or work, or play in a loving way, it's going to be a whole lot more productive. Love is a lot more productive than anger. We're more receptive to love than to anger. We're more willing to change if we feel someone's love than their anger. Their love is inspiring, and it helps us see a whole different world, maybe, than what we saw. A whole different belief system, a whole different way of living. We want to do it because we feel their love so strongly, and when it's genuine like that, Anything can happen. Anything is now attainable. And we're so open, so receptive to changing, so receptive to doing things a different way because we feel so loved. When we feel someone's anger, our instinct is to protect ourselves. And that doesn't foster emotional safety or connection. Lack of safety and connection is why there's such a high turnover in romantic relationships, friendships, and with jobs. We feel we're treated unfairly and it's not a pleasant feeling so we can leave. Or we can protect ourselves. And in the process of protecting ourselves, we end up alienating ourselves even more and driving further and further away from connection and resolution. A question that comes to mind is, am I helping people feel loved or are they feeling angry because of me? Does my style, the way that I lead or communicate, does it foster connection or disconnection? If we think about it, we're all authority figures in our lives, whether we're just captains of our own personal ship and world, if we're in management positions, if we're in any kind of relationship. What am I bringing to that? And at the same time, I think anger is a very powerful and important emotion. Anger communicates to us. It sends us messages and we feel it in our body. Something has happened that I don't like. Maybe a boundary was crossed. Maybe it's time to place a boundary. How can we go about that? How could we softly approach a conversation like this that helps us get the outcome that we want? understanding that connection and that resolution of what happened. I would suggest that you approach it in a few different ways. You might approach it from one or several of the five love languages and watch when they light up. You can feed into that a little bit. That is going to diffuse any anger at all. If you're feeling angry toward that person, you're looking at possibly maybe what's wrong with that person. And I would back up a minute and just say, well, let's talk about what's right with that person. What are some qualities that I really like about that person? Even with my father, um, who was the disciplinarian in our family growing up, even with him, I can step back and I can see that he dated my mother every single Friday night. Granted, it wasn't a great date. It wasn't creative. But I think that if we can diffuse that, watching what is right about people and focusing on that, it's going to diffuse a lot of anger. The very best sunrises and the very best sunsets all have clouds. I mean, it's kind of ho-hum if there's no clouds in the sky. The sunrise, sunset with no clouds, 
I mean, it's just, well, okay. So, <laughs> it's and, underwhelming. Yeah, it's really underwhelming. The refraction of the light on the clouds kind of is like our life, that we have adversity in our life. But if we didn't have that adversity, it would be underwhelming. And it's just wonderful that we've got these differences. We've got these clouds. We can see silver lining on the clouds. We can see all these good things about having clouds in our life and the strength that comes from that adversarial training that we get from going through the, those trials that we have and trying to solve these, these problems of communication. Love for me has really been the replacement behavior that caused me to stop looking at the wrong things that people do, stop looking at their mistakes, stop looking at their choices, but look at what I'm going to do, what is the good about anybody that I'm meeting, anybody that's in the store, anywhere, anybody, just what is good about them. Wow, I really like that. The clouds make the sunsets and the sunrises more beautiful. So under that premise, these conflicts and these challenges in our relationships, they help us. How have you seen them strengthen marriages? I don't know, Alessandra, if I would have searched for love had I grown up in love. I don't know if I would have been trying to improve that loving nature unless I had that adverse childhood. I had three opportunities, stay the same, which would be continue to blame everybody else, become more angry, who wants to do that, or look toward the love. Be nice, be nice, be nice, be nice until you get to that point of forgiveness, or else they're going to think it's not sincere. And so it, this works also for intimacy, that you build kindness, 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 until you're ready for intimacy. It's just kind of a natural result. We all need to get the basics down so we can get to these higher laws of love. In my line of work, I see that the thing that clients come and, and they're struggling with is that the trust in their marriage has been broken. And so they need consistent actions to build that trust. And that could be consistent displays Absolutely. of love. That could be consistent communication. That could be consistent transparency. We can build from small steps into making something really, really beautiful and completely amazing. As you were talking about the schools, I get so excited because our organization has done a lot of work with schools oh, really? and the importance of children, the importance of teaching children these tools and strategies that aren't really taught in the public school system how to regulate your nervous system, how to manage your emotional reactivity, how to deal with depression, anger, violence, how to be a leader, how to have a growth mindset, money management, all these different things. So I love that you're doing that at school with kids. That's so important. That just gives them another tool in their toolbox to be able to create their desired reality. And you actually need love tools in your toolbox. The mechanic has his tools. The carpenter has his tools. Everybody's got their tools. This is kind of a helper tool to remind them to be intentional about a new behavior and a new way to express love. Your book is such a wonderful resource, Paul. What's okay. one thing that you want your readers to take away from reading your book? I would hope that they just take away that they can be 1% better that day, just 1% better in loving and sending love out, 1% better in, in understanding when love is coming their way. I think that that's really going to break down a lot of the barriers that even couples have right now. One person in the couple likes love one way, the other person likes it another way. They're having a hard time connecting. Mm -hmm. But this way, learning all the love languages, this is really the hope of the book, that by becoming fluent in all the love languages, you're going to have understanding like you never had before. That's the hope. You've given us so many amazing strategies today and so many great tools to use. What's one thing if you can invite listeners to do? 
what would be one thing to help them improve the quality of their lives and the quality of their relationships? Namaste. In the Hindu dialect, it means the God in me sees the God in you, or the divine divine in me sees the divine in you. The light in me sees the light in you. And I would hope that we think that other people have divinity, other people have light, and we're drawn to the light when we see anybody. Just want to see what is light about them? What can I help them see themselves? What light do they have? And just focus on that. How can we honor that divinity in others? What we want to do is really focus on the good of other people, making that bigger. As we focus on it, it's like nourishing that. It's going to make that grow. Why would we ever focus on the faults of another person? Because guess what? That's coming right back to us. If we focus on their faults, they're going to focus on our faults. Who wants that? (laughs) I don't know anybody that would want that. Focus on the good of other people. Magnify that and that will grow. Oof, I love that. Namaste. Namaste.